You are listening to the sermon podcast for Salem Presbyterian Church in Winston-Salem. Thanks for listening. To learn more about our church, visit salempresws.org. That's salempresws.org. We believe preaching is best when experienced as part of the larger drama of God's people gathering. Something spiritually unique happens when God's people are together. We meet each Sunday to let the liturgy shape us, to hear preaching, and to take the Lord's Supper. And these acts are more robust when done together. Join us Sunday evenings at 5 p.m. in downtown Winston-Salem at 600 Holly Avenue. And please stand for the reading of God's word. Again, the passage is John 13, 1 through 21. Before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave this world and return to his Father. He had loved his disciples during his ministry on earth, and now he loved them to the very end. It was time for supper, and the devil had already prompted Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything, and that he had come from God and would return to God. So he got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, and poured poured water into a basin. Then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he had around him. When Jesus came to Simon Peter, Peter said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you don't understand now what I'm doing, but someday you will. No, Peter protested, you will never ever wash my feet. Jesus replied, unless I wash you, you won't belong to me. Simon Peter exclaimed, then wash my hands and head as well, Lord, not just my feet. Jesus replied, A person who is bathed all over does not need to wash except for the feet to be entirely clean. And you disciples are clean, but not all of you. For Jesus knew who would betray him. That is what he meant when he said, Not all of you are clean. After washing their feet, he put on his robe again and sat down and asked, Do you understand what I was doing? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, because that is what I am. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I have given you an example, an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. I tell you the truth. Slaves are not greater than their master, nor is the messenger more important than the one who sends the message. Now that you know these things, God will bless you for doing them. I am not saying these things to all of you. I know the ones I have chosen. But this fulfills the scripture that says... The one who eats my food has turned against me. I tell you this beforehand, so that when it happens, you will believe that I am the Messiah. I tell you the truth. Anyone who welcomes my messenger is welcoming me, and anyone who welcomes me is welcoming the Father who sent me. Now Jesus is deeply troubled, and he exclaims, I tell you the truth. One of you will betray me. This is the word of God for the people of God. Uh, so good evening, my name is Ben Milner, I'm one of the pastors here, and we are preaching through the uh, Jesus Storybook Bible, which are 
down here. So if you want a copy, uh, whether you're an adult or a child, you're welcome to come and get one. Um, we're looking at the story called The Servant King uh, this evening. And the Jesus Story Bible is a, um, a very condensed uh, Bible that has um, multiple stories from the Old and New Testament. And every story uh, whispers the name of Jesus. That's why it's called the Jesus Storybook Bible, because we believe that every single passage of the Old and New Testament ultimately centers on Jesus, that he's the hero of every story. And we believe that the Bible tells one large story, uh, which is that God made us um, in the Garden of Eden, uh, male and female, Adam and Eve. Uh, he made us to worship him, to reflect him, uh, to bring uh, our dominion across the earth which was a kind of a reflection of the creativity of God. Uh, God made everything out of nothing, and he took disorder, and he took formlessness, and he shaped it into something beautiful. And so we are called with God, in God's image, to reflect that same creativity. And um, that, the word for that is dominion. That we're called to have dominion over the earth. Adam and Eve and their children were supposed to spread out across the earth and bring dominion everywhere. And that one day, the whole earth would be uh, covered with God's people who would be exercising dominion. Now, dominion was about service, about serving the earth, about serving one another, about serving God. But there's something called the fall, uh, where humans, um, by their own free will, chose to follow uh, the evil one, the one who is the dominator, uh, the one who is the destroyer. And we, we chose, instead of aligning ourselves with God, we aligned ourselves with the destroyer, and we therefore went from dominion into domination, where we, we lost, like Satan, we lost for power, uh, we lost for control, we want to be served, we want to be adored, we want to be bowed down to, and so Jesus comes into the world, and he is the servant, he is restoring dominion, he's showing us what dominion was always meant to be, and his goal is to spread his kind of service, that kind of dominion up, all the way around the world, which is, he did this in Jerusalem in roughly 33 AD, and now here we are in Winston-Salem, 2022, and it's working. His plan is working. He is spreading his dominion around the world, and he is getting rid of domination as he's doing that, and that will continue to spread till he returns. So um, from domination to dominion, and this story of this uh, king who serves is really the ultimate example of what that switch looks like from domination to dominion. Because in this story, as this picture so beautifully illustrates, you've got Jesus who's taken off, he's taken off his, uh, his coat and he is washing his disciples' feet in a, in a basin. Um, so he's the humble king at the feet of his disciples washing their feet. This is what dominion looks like. This is what he's bringing us all back to. Um, he, he gives, he says in this passage, I am doing this as an example for you. And it's not just to literally wash each other's feet. That's not the point. Uh, the point is to serve one another radically and to give up uh, your rights for other people and to lay down your life for them. So that's, that's the first thing is that, that he is an example to us. The king serves. But um, to be an example of a servant alone would actually not be enough at all. That if all he did was come and be an example of someone who serves, all that would do for us was to show us how vastly different we are from him. Because we don't serve. Like I said, we want to dominate. Uh, we want to be served. So if all he ever did is come to be an example for us, that would just leave us even more in our sin. It would even separate us farther from him. Because we would realize the gap between us and God is enormous. 
So to be an example alone is not enough. That's a very important part of it. But then the second thing he does is in addition to giving us an example, he actually cleanses us. He literally gets inside of our hearts somehow. And he has like a fire hose. He just sprays off all of the crud, all the crap that gets inside of us that is domination thinking. And he's just spraying it off all the time. And that's probably what his supper does. Is it just, it's a cleansing. Every week it's a, it's a cleansing of the, all of the dirt. All of the desire uh, for power and pride and prestige is cleansed constantly. It's happening. He has to clean me all the time, every day. So he serves and he cleans. Those are the two points. The king serves and the king cleans. So first of all, in verse 1 it says uh, it's the feast of the Passover. And this is the biggest meal of the year. And uh, the disciples are gathered around a, a large, elegant table in an upper room that Jesus has prepared beforehand. Uh, it's, this is a very meaningful night to him. He has basically focused his entire ministry onto this moment of the cleansing of the disciples' feet and then the Lord's Supper and then the death and resurrection. So this is a huge moment for him. And I can imagine a very large table with uh, fresh cut flowers and choice foods, lamb, herbs, bread, fine wine, very good wine, the best wine they could get. Really elegant tableware, a beautiful linen cloth. So imagine a table like that, uh, candles, smells beautiful. And then in the middle of that beautiful event, the most uh, important event in the Jewish calendar is the Passover feast. And imagine in the middle of that, this happening. He rose from supper, verse 4. He laid aside his outer garments, which is the big cloak they would wear. And so now he's down to basically just an inner garment, which would have been like shorts, essentially. So he's laid aside his outer garments, and he took a towel. He found a towel, and he tied it around his waist. And he's going to use that towel to clean their feet. So to understand a little bit about the magnitude of that, um, imagine like a black tie fundraiser in a private room at like Ryan's or Rooster's or one of the nicest spring house, the nicest restaurant in town. And, you know, the mayor, Alan Joins, is there and all the very important people in the city, uh, the power brokers, um, they're all there in this private room and, and he stands up to give a toast. But instead of giving a toast, he takes off his tie uh, he takes off his coat, he, he bends down, um, and he begins to sweep the floor with his hand, just sweeping crumbs onto his hand, and just like going around the room and like cleaning <clears throat> all over the place, cleaning the ground all around them, getting underneath the table. It would be um, absolutely unthinkable. It would be shocking. They would probably try to get him to stop like Peter does, and... This is even more radical. What Jesus is doing is way beyond what um, Alan Joins would be doing there. Imagine President Biden uh, doing that. Jesus, verse 5, pours water into a basin. And he began to wash the disciples' feet and wipe them with a towel. Now, the, the Pharisees had a law that it strictly forbid any person who was Jewish from doing this. It was um, considered to be the lowest of the low. This is one task. That, he, that no Jewish person could ever, ever do. And this is what the Storybook Bible says about it. And it's got a picture of um, chickens and cows and all their stuff on the ground. And it says, back then people didn't wear shoes, they only wore sandals. 
The streets in those days were dirty, and I don't just mean dusty dirty, I mean really stinky dirty. With all those cows and horses and chickens everywhere, you can imagine the stuff on the street that ended up on their feet. So, I mean, think about that. Apply that to today. What part of the body would that be? And um, imagine an Israelite volunteering, much less a rabbi, volunteering to do that work. Uh, Again, the story of the Bible says someone had to wash away the dirt, but it was a dreadful job. Who on earth would ever dream of volunteering to do it? Only the lowliest servant. So I don't know if you've ever cleaned uh, someone's body in some part that they couldn't get to, only you could get to. Um, Maybe it's somebody like a, with a child, when it's your child, it's quite a bit easier. Although some dads I've talked to have never changed a diaper, which is an abomination. That that should never be. But uh, if it's your own child, that's one thing. But if you start getting a little older than that, a little more distant from yourself than that, it gets more and more difficult. So like the uh, certified nursing assistants in hospital CNAs probably get paid the least amount of anyone in the hospital. And yet they do the in the kingdom of God, they would make the most because they're the ones serving the people the most. They're the ones cleaning the parts of bodies that nobody else will clean. And that's what Jesus was doing. That shows how different he was from all the other kings and emperors of the day. So again, the story of the Bible, Peter says, I'm not that kind of servant. And Matthew says, I'm not that kind of servant. And then quietly, Jesus got up from the table, took off his robe, picked up a basin of water, knelt down, and started to wash his friend's feet. So I mentioned this last week, but, you know, in the empire, um, it's, an, it's a pyramid of power where you're always trying to get to the top, and you're trying to get people below you to serve you and look up to you and admire you. And the closer you get to the top, the less people that are up there. And you're trying to get above everybody and get more people below you. It's like a pyramid scheme. But in the, in the kingdom of God, we flip that upside down. It's like a funnel, and everybody's trying to race to the bottom to be where Jesus is, who is serving as many people as possible, and who is looking up to people and admiring people and lifting people up. And so that's what he's doing here. Uh, he says to his disciples, in the, among the Gentiles, they lord it over themselves. Like, in the Gentiles, the leaders lord their power over each other, but in the kingdom, it's not to be that way. The greatest among you must be the greatest servant. And he means that literally. Not like a servant heart, but like literally serving people. Like getting down on your knees and serving people. So the only king that will ever rule this world, and there's only one that will ever rule this world, he is a king who wiped the disgusting feet of his disciples. That he would be in the hospital like one of the CNAs, going around to their patients, going into the bathroom with them, and taking care of them in ways that... Uh, almost no other healthcare provider will do. So if you want to be in the kingdom of Jesus, that's the way that you lead in the kingdom of Jesus. In the world, that is not the way you lead. This is probably what distinguishes the kingdom of God from the world more than anything, is the way that we view power and the way we view uh, service. And in the kingdom, having influence and power and prestige are totally redefined. And so service is not demeaning, it's power. And in the old days, when Jesus came, uh, you would have the emperors, and they would, always div- they would call themselves divine. So you had the most divine Caesar, uh, or the Nebuchadnezzar the Great. Uh, the king of Assyria thought that he was like a god. So back then, the rulers would have thought they were gods. 
the, the ruler of North Korea today, Kim Jong-il, he thinks that he is God. They say that he's God. But when Jesus came, he flipped everything upside down. And so now in England, what's the name of their leader? It's the prime minister. Because that idea comes from the Jesus revolution, that the prime minister, it should really be called the, the servant, the main servant, or the servant of servants. But that's because of the Jesus revolution, we have this thing called a prime minister. I wish America had a prime minister. That's a great title for what that person's supposed Now, of course, that person, uh, they just retired, um, but that person is not actually cleaning anyone's feet. Um, but that's what their title tells they should be doing. And notice the way that Jesus thinks of power as service. In verse 3, it says, Jesus, knowing the Father, had given him all things. So he knows he's powerful. And he knows he's going to go back to the Father. He knows he's going to ascend to the right hand of God. He's going to be the king of the, of the world. He's about to ascend to heaven. And knowing that he's powerful and is going to ascend, it says he rose from supper. And it doesn't say he got really big. You know, he swelled up and he commanded him, bow down to me. Do my bidding. That's what you would think it would have said. But it doesn't say that. He says he rose from supper. He laid aside his robe. He took a towel and he washed feet. And I just want that to land. Like hit that. Let that hit you. Uh, how different that is from the way the world views power. You know, Pope Francis, uh, on Monday, Thursday... He wiped uh, the feet of these 12 prisoners in this uh, Roman jail to show that the Pope's main job is supposed to be to serve like that. I don't know what he does the rest of the year, but on that day, he was trying to show that he was a servant. Even uh, Bill Gates, um, he apparently does the dishes every night. He insists that he do the dishes. I don't know how often he eats at home, but whenever he eats at home, he always does the dishes in a way to try to keep himself humble. And now I don't think he's a Christian, but that's how powerful the Jesus revolution is. That even a Bill Gates would do that, knowing that that's an important thing. In the ancient world, that would have been unthinkable. No, no emperor would ever have done that. But one of the most wealthy men in the world is doing that. Um, in Ephesians 5.22, it says, uh, husband's Love your wives and give yourself up for her. So in other words, in the home, the leadership in the home is not about making final decisions. It's not like the tie-breaking vote. That's not what it means to be a husband. It's not like you, you demand respect. In my home, I'm the leader and I demand respect. That's not what Jesus is talking about. To be the head of the household is taking out the trash and grating cheese and changing diapers and washing dishes. It's to serve the family, serve your wife, serve your children. That's what it means to lead. And in 1 Peter 5, 2, Peter, tell, who had this happen to him, Peter, same Peter, he says, elders, who are the leaders of the church, be eager to serve, not lording it over the flock. And lording it over is the same word Jesus used. Uh, be eager to serve and not to lord your power over your flock. So elders, you're not going to be big shots who order people around, making all the decisions. You're supposed to be praying for people uh, when it's exhausting, visiting people when you don't want to visit them, giving things away, feeding, listening, absorbing pain, all these things. It's service. In the church, 
It is service that is leadership. And whoever is serving is a leader in the church. So it's a complete redefining of power. So where in your life are you a leader? And there is some place, no matter where you are in, um, in your life, whether it's a student, a parent, maybe a teacher, a healthcare provider, a counselor, an older sibling, wherever, it is, wherever you are in life, where are you called to lead? And are you leading through service, through getting beneath the people that God has called you to lead. Now, I'm not talking about being walked over or not having boundaries. You know, there, there's a danger in some people that just give up all their boundaries and they do nothing but do whatever someone wants them to do because they feel bad if they don't do that. That's not what I'm talking about. This is like voluntary, majestic service. That's what the king shows us. Um, but again, that's not enough. If that's all he did, it would just condemn us all the more. Because I don't know about you, but number point one, I'm not doing very well. I, I am not doing the things that I said a husband or an elder should do. I do it some. I do it as, as the Spirit empowers me to do it. But I really struggle. I really fail. And so point two is so critical that he cleanses us all the time. Constant renewal inside of us of the Holy Spirit cleaning us from within. Uh, this is from the Storybook Bible again. It says, what Jesus knew is that people needed more than anything to be clean on the inside, not their feet. All the dirt on their feet was nothing compared to the sin inside their hearts, the selfishness, the laziness, uh, the desire to be served and to sit on a couch and have somebody do your bidding for you and for someone to admire you and look up to you and tell you you're great. That's what we want. So we have to be cleaned all the time by the Holy Spirit. You notice how, this is now point two about the king cleaning us. Notice how uncomfortable uh, Peter is about being served, about the king. He, he gets really uncomfortable about the king who is the servant king. In verse 8, Peter says, you will never wash my feet. And he thinks he's being really holy. Uh, he thinks he's being upstanding. Um, he's trying to impress Jesus. Oh, I'm not going to let you. You can serve them, but you're not, you're not going to serve me. I'm I'm not going to let you do that. And then Jesus is very clear about the consequences of that. And he says, if I don't serve you, Peter, then you have nothing to do with me. You have no share with me. And then I love Peter's reaction. Then he says, well, then wash all of me, Lord. Not only my feet, but my head and my hands. And um, in the story of the Bible, it says he said this with his eyes filling with tears. Because what Peter did not understand was that it really wasn't about the feet that are dirty. It's about inside of us. Uh, the washing was about the Holy Spirit. And so what Jesus was really saying is, if I don't clean you, Peter, then uh, the Holy Spirit is not going to make you a servant like me. Uh, the, the way you need to be clean, Peter, is by having the Holy Spirit wash you from the inside. My Holy Spirit washing you from the inside. You need to be clean from that kind of dirt. Not the dirt on the feet. But the dirt in the heart. And I think Judas is given uh, as this example of the way that we need to be clean. Judas is at the top of the passage and at the bottom of the passage. He like his bookends. And the reason Judas bookends the passage is he is the example of what uh, domination and buying into the empire looks like. Because uh, in verse 2 it says that the devil put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot to betray him. And that's really what... The dirt and the filth is, is a betrayal of the servant God. It's a betrayal of the crucified God. 
to want to have a messianic warrior. That's what Judas wanted. Judas was Iscariot because a Sicari, that means one of the Sicari, Iscariot. The Sicari had these daggers. They were famous for these daggers. And they were basically terrorists. And what they did is they went around and they murdered people to start a political revolution. And so the Sicarii were part of the zealots who wanted a messianic warrior to come and overturn the Roman Empire. And Judas was one of the leaders of that. And if you've ever seen The Chosen, they, they portray that really well, that he is one of the Sicarii. He's one of the zealots, and he's looking for a messiah who will overturn the Roman power and bring Jewish power. And they're going to kick out the Romans. And the devil put it into his heart uh, to want that kind of power and that kind of domination. He wanted a dominating Messiah, a warrior who would wipe out the Romans. And so when Jesus comes into Jerusalem on a donkey, you can imagine how upsetting that is to Judas. And he's like, this is not what I was bargaining for. And then when Jesus cleans the temple and starts turning the Pharisees against him, Judas is like pulling his hair out and saying, this is not the kind of Messiah I wanted because he is so given over to the empire. And then when Jesus washes his disciples' feet, Judas just like snaps and he can't handle it anymore. And he's like, I'm, I can't deal with this. I am betraying. This, is, this guy is a fraud. He's a weakling and a fraud and he needs to die. He needs to go. So when Jesus was doing these things like cleaning his disciples' feet, all Judas could see was weakness, humiliation, because he was, Judas was so eaten up by the devil and by this pride, this desire for power and domination and rule. And that is what, Judas is what our hearts need to be cleansed from. Because we've got a little bit of Judas in all of us. In verse 7, Jesus says, uh, you do not understand what I am doing, but afterward you will. So in other words, what he's saying is when I'm cleaning your feet right now, you don't really get what's going on. You think that I'm just cleaning your feet. But after I do what I'm really going to do, then you're going to understand what it is I'm doing here. And in other words, after the cross... After I shed my blood, then you're going to realize that it is the blood of God. That it is the blood of God that we need to be cleansed from our desire for pride. And our desire to be served. And our desire to lord our authority over people. We have to be cleansed to the very depths of us. That's why he says, you don't know what I'm doing right now. But after I die, you're going to know what I'm doing. I'm doing this to show what I'm going to do to you then. The cleansing of your feet right now is a pointer to what I'm going to do then when I cleanse your hearts out. We had a, a plumber come over, and uh, he was going to bring his snake, and our bathroom drain was really stopped up. So he was going to use that snake and get it down deep into the bathroom, a uh, bathtub drain, to try to pull out all the dirt there, all the hair, um, everything that's in, disgusting stuff down in there. He's going to pull it out so the drain would work again. But he was like, I can't get my snake down in there. It, it doesn't, the angle's not right. So he's like, I can't help you. But he's like, I'll tell you a trick. There's this stuff you can get, and I don't remember what it's called now, but he's like, you can only get it at the plumber store. So I knew that it had to be really powerful. And he said, you've got to have really big gloves when you use this stuff. But you need to go to the plumber store and buy this stuff. And if you put a little bit of that down the drain, it will, it will destroy everything that's down there. So uh, I went to the plumber store, um, felt very out of place in there with all the plumbers buying supplies. But I bought this incredibly powerful cleansing agent and poured just a little bit of it down into our tub, our bathroom uh, tub drain, and it, it just started, the water started to flow after that. And I can't imagine what was in that 
stuff. But it is that level of like the deep down hair and dirt that gets all bundled together by other liquids and stuff. And that is what the stuff goes all the way down into that tub and, and it just dissolves that. It annihilates that. Down at the molecular level, it breaks it all down. And Jesus is so sure that he can clean us to the very heart that he kind of does this name it and claim it thing the way that uh, sometimes um, some churches do with money. Um, you know, you name it and claim it. You say, uh, God will give me this, uh, this car or God will give me this job or God will give me this health. He claims the cleaning before he does it. So in verse 10, he says, you are clean. You are completely clean. So before he has not even gone to the cross yet, and yet he is telling him, I'm so sure of my power to clean you, that I am at this very moment uh, claiming that you are actually clean, all the way down to the heart. Again, the Storybook Bible does a great job of connecting this to the Passover. It's got a beautiful picture of Jesus serving the Lord's Supper. This meal uh, was the Passover meal, right? We said that at the beginning. So this is what the Storybook Bible says. Uh, it says, Passover was a time when God's people remembered how they'd been rescued from being slaves in Egypt. The lamb died instead of us, they would say. But this Passover, God was getting ready for an even greater rescue. So Jesus is about to create a greater departure or liberation from the empire than even Moses did in the Passover with Egypt. Um, verse 1 says he knew his time had come to depart. And that word depart means he was going to the cross. Depart meaning I'm going to die for you. And that is the true exodus. That is the greater liberation. That is actually where we were delivered from the power of the empire. And just think about as strong as Pharaoh was in Pharaoh's army and Israel being slaves in Egypt, what is it in your life where you are kind of enslaved to this greater power than Pharaoh, to this greater emperor than Pharaoh, to uh, something in your life that you just cannot shake, uh, some, something selfish, some pride, um, some need to be served all the time. I mean, when I think about what I was like before I met Jesus and what he's had to clean in me, I shudder sometimes to imagine what I would be um, at 52 when I got uh, cleansed at the age of 21. I, I, I cannot imagine what I would be today if that cleansing had not started then. But even now, I, like, I rush to get food before it gets cold. Like, I'm really aggressive about getting to food before it gets cold. And I get really mad. We were... Margie and I were, were in Myrtle Beach, and we have all the time in the world. Like, we're there for a vacation, and she starts looking for T-shirts in one of those little stores along the boardwalk, and I'm really impatient, like, trying to get to who knows what. Just incredibly impatient, wanting to have my own schedule, um, to have my own priorities, and to make sure that the family goes along with what I want to do. That's after, that's, this is all in the context of being cleansed by Jesus. I mean, what would I be like if that hadn't happened to me? What would you be like? What do you need to be cleansed from? Jesus says in verse 12, do you understand what I have done for you? And that's a question that just should keep ringing in your ears as you go from here. Do you understand what I have done for you? Do you know how much I have cleansed you from? 
I'm going to go down to the very bottom of the drain of your soul. I'm going to be so defiled by the clots of dirt and hair and crud that is deep down in you that you could never get to. Uh, I am going to go down there and clean you from within. It's kind of like the lamb that they took, this beautiful, perfect, spotless lamb that the Israelites would take on the Passover and they would kill the lamb, this perfect lamb, and that blood of that lamb would protect them from the angel of death. And this is how the, uh, this is how the storybook Bible uh, story, this story ends. Uh, it says, my body is like this bread, it will break. This cup of wine is like my blood, I will pour it out. My life will break and God's broken world will mend. My heart will tear apart and your hearts will heal. Just as the Passover lamb died, so now I will die. Remember, we love these rascals.